Amen. Lord, you are worthy. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you, Lord. Slain from the foundation of the world. We give you all praise and all glory. And uh, Lord, we just want our, our offering of praise today to be worthy. May we be clean vessels. May we uh, come before you with confession. Uh, ask you to, to cleanse any sin from our lives, Lord, so that we can stand before you pure and holy and acceptable worship today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. And if you would take a... Uh, uh-oh. Did I have one? Yeah. So one of these um, connection cards, if you're visiting with us, maybe for the first or second time, we would love to know who you are. So please fill this out and uh, take that to the connection area in the lobby, and we'll have a token of our appreciation if you would just take that to them after the service, okay? For the rest of us, there's a prayer request card there in the pew back in front of you, and we will be faithful to pray for any needs that you uh, pass in. You can put those in the offering plate, okay? So please do that. Let me uh, share with you a little bit about uh, today. I feel like a, a, a trial lawyer. I'm going to try to lay out what you're, what, what I'm trying to prove, okay? Um, so what we're trying to, to do today is to allow us to hear the Word of God and then respond to the Word of God. Because Brother Philip is going to be preaching about hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. And then we're going to do just that. But before he comes to the podium uh, for the message today, uh, let's uh, worship as the choir and orchestra leads us in Jesus, only Jesus.
Some of you will not be able to get over the fact that we're not doing something that is verbatim out of the bulletin. <laughs> that this is totally different, but, but there's certainly a reason for that. So today we're going to talk about walk in the spirit, or walk in, with spirit-filled lives. And of course the theme in our text today is worship. If you remember looking at Ephesians 5 beginning in verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And now you're going to get five participles of result. Ready? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. When we hear the question asked to us from someone, are you a spirit-filled Christian, what is your response? If I'm asked that question, Brother Philip, would you say that FBCO is a spirit-filled church? My response really is going to depend on what they're asking. By asking me, are you a, are you a spirit-filled Christian or is the church spirit-filled? Field. Why? Because it depends on what you mean by that. So in our day, that terminology is loosely used and many, many, and many times they don't mean the same thing that we mean. Nor do I think what they're asking is biblical. Ephesians 5.18 is the only place where we are commanded in the Bible to be filled with the Spirit. 
And what I want you to see today is that this passage is very clear and logical in its instructions on what it means to be filled with the Spirit and actually what it looks like. So in verses 19 through 21, Paul is going to actually give us the results of being filled with the Spirit. Now, I don't assume nor believe that, this, that the results that you see here are the only results of being Spirit-filled. But isn't it very interesting and to the point, we can't remove this point, that as soon as he says, be filled with the Spirit, he enumerates what that looks like. Okay, So we're not saying these are the only results, but we are saying that as he expounds on the terminology, be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine in which is excess dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. He's going to give you the results. We learned last week that to be filled with the Spirit means to be influenced, dominated, and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. That's not the end of the story. Through the Word of God. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means that, let's follow the grammar, is to be increasingly controlled. Present tense imperative. Continually controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And that's going to be determinate based upon the proportion of your saturation of heart and life with the Word of God. It's proportionate to that. So when we are controlled by the Spirit through the Word of God, I think the text I just read to you will tell you that there should be some joy. Right? Joy. Jubilant expression marks you as a child of God. Jubilant expression marks you as a spirit-filled believer. There is nothing holy or spiritual in looking like you are in the mode of a perpetual funeral service. Nothing is jubilant and expressive about the absence of joy. True holiness means true joy. You know this, don't you? You understand this. Listen to what Christ said to his disciples, to his disciples in John 15:11. These things I have spoken to you that your joy, hear it, may be full. And that your joy, uh, that your joy, my joy, sorry, may be in you. So if Christ's joy is in you, and then he says that your joy may be full. God gave us his word so that our joy may abound. Notice what he says. These things I have given to you and commanded to you. What's those things? The word of God. And what does that lead to? Talk to me. Joy. Joy. At least to joy. Joy is the second fruit of the spirit given in Galatians 5. Remember that? Love. Say it. Joy. So, Acts 13.52. We saw this last week. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We cannot escape the fact that to be controlled and influenced by the spirit of God through the word of God brings about joy. In our lives. Now again, joy is not dependent on happenstance. Joy is independent of circumstances. Joy that is inexpressible and full of glory is because we belong to Christ. It's because we're believers. It's not to say we don't have problems. It's not to say we walk around grinning like a donkey eating briars all the time. Those people make me nervous, right? We have real problems. However, the joy is independent of the circumstances. 
that which controls us and dominates us and influences us must come out. What influences you, controls you, must come out. As the old preacher once said, what's down in the bottom of the well will come out in the bucket. Amen? All right. So, these are called participles of results. It appears that the participles escalate in their difficulty. Why do I say that? Well, it seems to me that it's easier to sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord than it is to submit to one another in the fear of God. Right? Well, I I would see these as escalating in intentionality and thinking about what it actually means to be filled with the Spirit of God. So what are the results? Two things this morning. Speaking to one another in songs and then singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. They're not the same thing. Now, I think they're done in unison, but the attitude and the mind and the heart and the affections has one to do with horizontal and the other to do with vertical. But together, it is Christian worship. So let's unpack this. Speaking to one another in songs, the Bible says addressing one another in the ESV. Some translations will say speaking to one another. So, if he just said speaking, that would be one thing. Because we would all, at times, qualify for going around babbling and saying, Oh, we're spirit-filled. But that doesn't, it doesn't say that. He's not giving a generality that the more you speak, the more you're filled with the Spirit. The Bible says here that you're addressing one another in something particular. And what is it? Songs. This, this is not just speaking in random or speaking in generalities, this is specific. So right up front, we see that the focus is corporately oriented. Are you hearing this, church? It's not just driving down the road individually singing a song. Can that be worship? Absolutely. But that's not what he's addressing at this point. It's corporately oriented. So it's not some personal mountaintop high. You see where people go wrong at this point in this text when they take spirit-filled to mean some kind of ecstatic utterance or some kind of mountaintop experience that you haven't had but you're now having. It, it misses the point of the orientation of the text. There are, the specific context is oriented to community life. It's the body of Christ. There are two elements uh, that are at play here. If we're going to say something about addressing one another with songs, we have to think about at least two things. First, it's instruction. There's something in the song. Otherwise, we wouldn't need to speak to one another, and it, it, would, not be the, it would not be a result of being led by the Spirit. So one has to do with instruction or content, but the other has to do with praise. So, if, when we're addressing and speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, it involves instruction, but it also involves praise. The first resulting emphasis doesn't fall on the vertical at this point with our Lord. It falls upon the horizontal. This means that when we're speaking, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that means that individually we are participating in a corporate body. And we are edifying and instructing and we are encouraging one another through song. This is a result of being filled with the Spirit of God. 
addressing or speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It doesn't say speaking to one another about the cardinals. Or in my land, it would be the Braves, right? It's not the Chiefs. It's not the Top Gun movie, right? It's not the latest fad. Those are not bad things. But together corporately, as we're worshiping the king upon his throne, only Jesus, when we're doing that, specifically it is psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, Paul's focus, no doubt, is on didactic instruction, okay? It's, it's the content that is in the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Did y'all know that even from the beginning in the early church, there was this idea that you teach people truth by putting it into song so that we instruct ourselves and each other by the songs that we sing. Biblical and theological truth needs to be sung. Many hymns that came out of the Reformation are actually addressed horizontally. Many vertically, but many horizontally. As a matter of fact, the Word of God is given at times... In the form of a song. And we know this. We know there are certain texts that the early church used and sang them to the glory of God because of the content. Let me show you a couple of those. Philippians chapter 2. I just literally flipped over one page. Okay. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6. Here's what the early church would sing. In some of your translations you may have this given to you in italics or in quotes. Why? Because they also believe it was sung in the church. Verse 6, chapter 2 of Philippians. Who though he was in the form of God. Who is this? Jesus, the Son of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now folks, think about you singing this in the church. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Can you see and notice how the content is important. The content of this song in Philippians is not, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, yes, I do. I love you, Lord, 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 yes, I do. That is not what the early church was singing. This is what they were singing. Do you see the depth of what they're singing? There's another one found. There are several. There's one in Colossians 3 as well. But one of my favorites is found over in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Boy, is this ever a, a song in one verse that's chalked full. It's a Christmas text. Really. It starts that way. 1 Timothy 3, 16. It's in italics. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And what is the church confessing? He was manifested in the flesh. Folks, that's called the incarnation. God condescended to become a man he was vindicated by the spirit and seen by angels that's called resurrection he was proclaimed among the nations that's the preaching of the gospel he was actually believed on in the world and guess what he was taken up to glory that's called the ascension that's why they were singing things like these songs and they're actually given to us in poetic form for a reason 
They were made into songs. The early church saw that there, were, there needed to be instruction that took place. Singing is a form of discipleship. And the church has forgotten this. That we're singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In many ways, not always, I want to tell you that the church has departed away from seeing hymnody and sacred songs as a method of instruction to the people of God. In our day, it's give me a Branson show. And churches are reaping the ill effects of non-disciples because we're wanting to be pragmatic and draw a crowd. And we are called, in their opinion, to adapt our music to them. Since when is this a house of worship for people? This is a house of worship to God. It's called the regulatory principle of worship. And just look at our world and look at the SBC. You can't be pragmatic forever and do it opposite the way God says and expect to have good results. You just can't. This is true in music. So please let me remind you that when you are on your deathbed, it's coming. And you've exhausted all the scriptures that you put into your memory. The things that will come back to your memory won't be these little jaunty jingles and repetitive little courses. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be songs that go down to the deep marrow of the bone that actually minister to your soul. Why? Because you're about to see the king of glory. Guarantee you. So it is the biblical content that is spoken that we speak to one another in the context of our worship and our fellowship. There is a parallel to this and I've been telling you this. This is a sister epistle and that would be Colossians. But listen to 3.16 without turning. Listen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. See the connection with content, instruction, teaching. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Check it out. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then, of course, we hit the thanksgiving part of it. So, reading those together. I think what Paul is teaching us is that the context of our worship, whether formal or informal, there should be a fellowship between each of us so that we're speaking songs to one another for instruction, encouragement, and edification. Edification. So we certainly direct our songs to the Lord. And Paul's going to say something about that in a moment. But I think this is something that he's saying that we're not as well accustomed to. We, we just don't think about the fact that when we sing corporately, we are actually speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And this is on the horizontal level. You're encouraging one another, instructing one another, building one another up, challenging one another as you sing praise to God. Now, singing is clearly in view here, isn't it? We, don't, don't you wish as a good old Baptist who comes in and stands and soaks and never opens your mouth, don't you wish that songs were not in there? Because that means that you're supposed to do something, Right? We're singing truth in order to instruct, encourage, edify, build one another, build one another up. There certainly implies that songs always have biblical content that we need to instruct one another with and edify one another with. What does that mean? Well, what's in the song is important, right? 
Not any song will do. If we're talking about encouraging one another, edifying, instructing one another biblically, then for goodness sakes, the songs need to be biblical. We, that's, that's part of it. If you're not singing instruction and edification for the body when we're singing together that is biblically grounded, then our singing is in vain. And furthermore, if you're not singing, then you're robbing me and you're robbing those around you from being edified and built up in the faith. If you come into this place to worship and join the people of God in worship and you do not sing, it is a sin. And you say, preacher, I've never heard that before. Well, you need to read. You need to read. You need to read the Old Testament. It is given many, many times in Hebrew in the imperative command. Sing to the Lord. Over and over and over again. So, if you don't sing, then you're not engaging in corporate instruction. You're not helping your brothers and sisters around you. In encouraging and instructing. Right? So the early church did this by what they called antiphonal singing. We've done this some, okay, not as much as we used to, but one side of the congregation would sing a phrase and then the other side would sing a phrase in response. What did that do? It showed the design of what the Bible says that we teach one another. With antiphonal singing, you're going back and forth and you're taking time to listen. Singing is not a time to try to impress people with our musical skills. The worship of the church is not designed as an outreach method for unbelievers. Get this in your mind. The church is not designed in its worship for the result of trying to get unbelievers to believe the gospel by taking our songs and making them less than what they're supposed to be. How in the world do we think that that's going to do anything? So, that's not what worship is. You'll search the Bible in vain to find a place where we are told that we need to have a seeker-sensitive worship because there might be unbelievers among us who don't understand older music Find, or, or psalms or hymns or spiritual songs. Folks, again, this is the Lord's place of worship. We thank the Lord for every unbeliever that ever comes into our church and sits in the pew and hears the Word of God, hears us sing, and hears the preaching of the Word, the gospel of Christ. However, it's okay that lost people are puzzled. That's what happened in the book of Acts. The Bible says that some not dare join that group. Right? There's nothing wrong with you being puzzled. Let them scratch their heads and wonder why we would sing something that was written 500 years ago. Or preach the word of God that was written at least 2,000 years ago. Some 6,000 years ago. Why would we preach something that to them is archaic? Why? Because the gospel is given through the preaching of the word. And without the preaching of the word there is no faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. So, let them be puzzled. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Having a good voice is not the requirement. Some of you men and ladies, you're thinking, oh, can't do that. Most of us would say we don't have good voices. That's not the requirement. Can I get one amen? It's not the requirement to have a good voice. You may annoy people when you sing, Jeffrey. <laughs> to your wife, Michelle. I've seen her go, <laughs> Michelle, you know it. <laughs> right? And it, hey, one old preacher in my church, Mr. Creason, uh, James Creason, he was actually 
my sister-in-law's father, uh, he always get the elbow when he would sing so loud. And he says, well, preacher, I know I sing bare up tone. <laughs> and he says, I also sing like a man in prison. I'm always behind bars and can't ever find the right key, right? <laughs> yep. And, and you guys and gals that don't sing in here, you sing in the shower. And you sing in your car. You do. And it, I'm telling you, it could be very annoying. It could be dying calf in a hailstorm kind of singing. I get that. But that's not the requirement. <laughs> I remember in Alabama, I was, I pastored this guy. I love him. But I never saw him sing in church. And we went dove hunting together. <laughs> this was hilarious. And we're, we're standing around, you know, eating and getting ready to go out on the dove field. And he, he starts walking off. He goes, on the pontoon. Starts singing that country song. And I'm like, really? I mean, you're going to sing on the pontoon, a country music song. And you sit in church every single Sunday with a closed mouth. Listen, you have a voice. And I've got news for you. It can be improved if you use it. But I'm just being honest with you. Some of you never use it. And there's all kinds of excuses across the board. But I'm telling you, you can't be spirit-filled and not sing. You can argue all day long, but you can't be. You can't be. So, the requirement is not a good voice. The requirement is to be controlled and influenced and intoxicated on the Spirit of God. So that we sing the songs of Zion. And they resonate in our hearts. Paul says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Brother David, you're not going to have much. Uh, I'm cutting into your time now, right, brother? Because <laughs> we're going to sing in a few moments. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Some take a sharp distinction when you study this and the wording for psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Okay? Some say we should not labor too hard to discriminate or to to try to prove that there's a difference in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But I think it's pretty obvious that when you see the word psalms, that that's a little different. Why? Because we have a category in the Bible where we have 150 of them. They're the songs, psalms. They're, it is, in fact, the ancient Hebrew Psalter. It is their hymn book. It is in the center of the Bible. And it's not by accident. So what will we say about this? Well, again, we, we have these phrases, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And if we say, well, we only are to sing psalms, then you're in trouble. Because although they are certainly implicit in many places talking about the Messiah, that's called the Messianic Psalms. In other words, Jesus is all in the Psalms, okay? But it's implicit. So if it was only Psalms, we would miss the explicit understanding of who Jesus is by way of the New Testament. Does that make sense? So, the fact is, when I said hymns or, or Psalms and hymns, some of you automatically went to, I told you we're supposed to only sing the Baptist hymnal. Because it says hymns, right? 
But a psalm would simply be the scripture, right? But then we have hymns. But that's describing a song that could have been written, the hymn, right? By a person in the worship service, whoever that may have been, for the church, so that they sing not only psalms, but hymns, okay? That's how we got hymnody, folks. Get it out of your mind that hymns are old or new. There was a time when Isaac Watts was a contemporary songwriter. And he probably wrote the greatest hymn, I would argue, of all time. When I Surveyed the Wondrous Cross. There was a time when that song was not written. <laughs> are y'all with me? And it was contemporary, okay? The fact is, the word song, I'm going fast, psalms, hymns, spiritual song, is the word ode. It's used in Revelation 5.9, Revelation 14.3. They sang a new song. Uh, in 15.3 of Revelation, they sang the song of Moses and the Lamb. Isn't that good? And basically, it's a song that expresses spiritual thoughts, spiritual feelings, in honor of the Lord. So these songs emerge up from the church in every generation... But here's the deal, folks. Some are good and some are bad. I don't want to hurt your feelings. But that's true of your hymn book. Some of the songs in the Baptist hymnal are not the best theologically. Okay? So these songs were part of the horizontal instruction to the people of God. They are also part of the vertical praise to God. So with these three descriptions, there's no room in this church for snobbery for the old or the new. Okay? Have you ever heard of worship wars? Well, the battle lines are drawn between what we would say is traditional and contemporary. Folks, that's not the battle at all in my heart. The battle in my heart is I don't care if they're new or old. The battle in my heart is what are we saying? What are we singing? There was a time when Psalm 1 was contemporary. Is that not true? It was. Okay? So this, it, this is a... Just give me the old hymns is the wrong attitude. Do I love the hymns? Y'all know me well enough to know that. Okay? However, what you mean when you say give me the old hymns is I want a Fanny Crosby hymn that was written in the 1800s. And folks, I want to tell you in the, in the sense of hymnody, did you know that's not even an old hymn? To say it was written in the 1800s. Do you know how old some of the hymns we have? Have you researched and read this? So neither is there room for snobbery with the new. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, well, I like the church preacher, like every part about it, but I, I just need to go somewhere where I'm entertained, basically. I just don't think the music is up to par. I, I want more of a modern edge to the music. Right? When the music slows down, if you're a contemporary-only kind of person, when the music slows down, you're thinking, wow, another death march. Because everything has to be explosive with lights and, and wording and theatrics. And it just cramps your style to sit still and listen. To even stop and think about what is being sung. So this sounds to you like a Gregorian chant. Because you haven't stopped to listen. Neither are you honoring the Spirit's work in the past. The same Spirit that led them to write the songs in the past is the same Holy Spirit that leads people to write good content songs here in the future. Right? Does that make sense to you? So, with these three things, there's no room for snobbery on either side 
old or new. The old has come to us, folks, and it is a treasure house from God. I'm telling you, don't be a snob about your preference for new when you haven't thought about what's in the old. I love a lot of these guys like Casting Crowns who have taken a song like, uh, boy, my mind just went blank. Uh, One Day He's Coming. Is that the name of it? Glorious Day. And just put a little bit of more lyrics to uh, music to it and band and instruments. By the way, if you think it's wrong to use instruments in the church, then you haven't read Psalm 150. They used every musical instrument they could possibly use to praise and glorify God. They, I love the Gettys. They've taken, well, just directly from the scripture and written songs, but they've also taken older things and brought it to life again. So the old has come, and it's, it's there, and it's a treasure house from God. And we have the inspired scripture from Psalms that we can sing. But we also have hymns that have been written through the ages. Now, on the flip side, if you're opposed to contemporary Christian music, heaven will be very uncomfortable for you. Because they are consistently singing in heaven a new song. Right? Why not just sing Amazing Grace? Well, the fact is, I think we will sing Amazing Grace. But I think your eternal increase of joy in Jesus Christ will manifest itself in new songs. Every day for eternity. As you get to know the Lord you already know. But you haven't begun to know him. In 10,000 years, you'll just be starting. And I'm telling you, folks, you'll sing a new song. You won't be able to help it. Guarantee you. So much of the new is good. But not all. And Brother David does a phenomenal job of looking at stuff and saying, Okay, he's come to me when it seems to be a little nitpicky thing. Where I have to say, Oh, we're good there, David. We, We can let that one slide. Okay? But there are other times when he's spot on, like, well, I'm not comfortable with this. Now, may we make a mistake? Absolutely. We may sing something that has a theological flavor that just doesn't fit the scripture. It's possible for that to happen, but that's not our intent. Our intent is always to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that are correct in their didactic instruction so that we can edify one another as we sing. So the writers of yesteryear, Why is there a problem with content today? Can I explain that to you? It's simply who's writing the songs. Two to three hundred years ago, without exception, and past that point, okay, you had pastors and theologians writing the songs. Okay? Often, what we hear today does not come from a biblically informed mind. Okay? But it's still no reason to cast a baby out with the bathwater. You can match the reverence with many songs today with the reverence of many songs in yesterday. If you've got an ear and understand what's going on. So through these, through these songs, members of this community of faith are continually filled with the Spirit of God as we instruct, edify, and exhort one another. Okay? Some of you are like, Phew, glad that's over. Singing in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Secondly... Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It's connected by chi in the Greek and. So that means this needs to be viewed together. Even though there are two participles. Participles. Singing. Participle. Making. Participle. Melody to the Lord with your heart. So. 
I think it's best to see and view this as depicting the same action. Even when we're addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we're also vertically, right, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Why? That individualizes us within the corporate body. That you are worshiping the Lord and you are instructing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So singing here is the verb form of what I said was song, which is ode. Okay? It's the verb form. Singing here is an action. It it is a verb form and an action that you particularly take. So in the Psalms, again, there are dozens of commands to sing to the Lord. And we must ask, what is it when we're called to do something and we violate it? You're scared to say it. I just want you, I'm not condemning you, folks. I'm just trying to get you to think. All right? It's not your voice. It's your heart. It, it's your, sometimes it's your pride. But this is something that we're commanded to do. Some of you should try it. You might like it. <laughs> Tell your face to sing. Just imagine people coming in that are lost. And they're standing beside somebody that's supposed to be a brother. And they're just like this. What are you doing? I mean, come on, folks. That's a lot of joy. Exuberant expression. My sins have been forgiven. I'm on my way way to heaven. I don't know. I'm just not wired like that. Maybe I'm different. But if I'm standing there and my music guy says, let's sing, I'm singing. And I sing when I don't even know the song. I just sing anyway. Just try. Do the best I can, right? Here are a few things to think about. The largest book in the Bible occupying the center is a song book. The entire scope of salvation history is marked by singing. Song of Moses. Mary the Magnificent singing with her heart because she's going to bear God in her, out of her womb. I mean, whole entire thing, Right? Many significant redemptive events in the Bible are marked by singing. The apostles sang. And singing is commanded in the Bible. Hear this again. Singing here is directly related to spirit-filled living. To be filled with the spirit is to sing. If you don't like to sing, again, you can't get away from the musical element of the melody and the harmony that's given in the words Of singing, making, say it, melody. You can't get away from what this actually is. There is musical accompaniment that is making melody. And making melody implies music. And that implies harmony. Again, not everyone can play a musical instrument. But everyone can take part in the melody by lifting up your voice to the king. That's what this is saying. And then it says heart. This does not mean silent worship. Some of you Baptists, I know you. You're going to go up first in the resurrection. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. (laughs) I know you Baptists. Some of you read this and you're like, I got him now. Melody in your heart to the Lord. That means silence opposed to opening your mouth. And I'm going to refrain. No, it means with everything you've got in your being. And your mouth is part of that. Right? It certainly is not to be silent and think you're 
contemplating. And you're just more spiritual because you're actually not opening your mouth, but you're singing on the inside. How are you going to instruct me with that? Your face is not instructing me, whatever, <laughs> at all. You can only instruct by opening up your mouth and speaking and addressing one another. So, again, this does not mean silent worship as it is opposed to opening your mouth, okay? It's not in your heart as silent, opposed to mouth and vocalizing. Again, in the Greek, the word is a dative of means. So what does that mean? It's from your heart. Okay? It is, it is like contrasting what you're hearing to move within your spirit and heart. That's not just your mind, but that's your will and that's also your affections. Because heart... Oftentimes in the Bible and here speaks of everything you have within you. It's all that you are. If you want to say it's trichotomy or dichotomy, I don't care what you're saying. The fact is, it's every part of you. It's the entire inner man that is singing to the Lord. So, you engage the whole person in worship. Our minds should be engaged. Our affections are engaged. Our will is engaged. Why? Because when you're singing truth, you're submitting to it. Right? When you're singing biblical truth, you're doing that. Sometimes the problem with endlessly repeating the same phrase for 40 times is that our mind does disengage. And that happens to me. If I'm singing and it's the same phrase over, 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 ad nauseum, I'm just going, I'm detached. But if it's a new principle... If it's something that's changed up, that's not to condemn anything that when the roll is caught up yonder, when the roll, that's called repetitive. But some of you older people say, oh, I can't stand these 7-Eleven songs. When the roll is caught up yonder, we used to draw that thing out 55 times, right? <laughs> we know that. We did. But there is a problem when that's all you ever do. I exalt you. 75 times. It's almost like God looks down from heaven with a Jewish voice and says, I'm exalted already. Right? I mean, folks, content is vitally important. But it ought to, look, when you come in here, I think this is expressing the whole person. Being fully engaged, right? Not disengaging your mind. And sometimes we think of the worship service as, well, I'm going to flop down. and it's been a long week and I'm just going to empty my mind. No. This is where you need to fill your mind. This is where you need to engage, okay? Your, infect- your affections. It's not simply a mental activity. God designed the melody and the music to grip the heart. He designed it to move the affections. The truth that we are singing and the truth that we are declaring is something that our wills are committing to as we sing. I can only think, stop and think, have thine own way, Lord. Oof. That doesn't get you. Can you really sing that and not mean it? You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me. How about this one? I surrender all. It's good stuff, isn't it? How about I will sing of my Redeemer and His wondrous love for me. On the cruel cross He suffered, paid the debt and made me free. Well... Can you not sing that? Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Look, and that song says, its theme is the song in my night. My Redeemer. You ought, to, you ought to have a song in your heart. Have you ever noticed how singing 
can change the whole complexion of things. As a matter of fact, I heard one pastor say one day, if we would just pick up the hymn book and read the hymns, the pastor's amount of counseling would go down in half. Mm. If you would just read the hymns when you're down in the dumps. Folks, I'm telling you, singing is a gift from God to the people of God. And we're hurting our church when we don't see that singing is to be filled with the Spirit of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, There is a right way for a congregation to sing. And he says, What is it? Sing together, as Paul says, making melody in your heart to the Lord. There's harmony, balance, control. There's individual singing combined with the people of God. And again, notice that expression, to the Lord. We're declaring truth, we're singing, and we're directly singing and praising God. And here's what I would say about that. The reason it says Lord is because it's Christocentric. In other words, do you remember what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit? In other words, he's not going to come talking about how great he is and that he is God. The whole, which he is. But the Holy Spirit is going to deflect all praise to the Son of God. So if the song and if the desire of the music person or if the desire of the church is to magnify the Holy Spirit, we've missed it. The goal is to magnify the Son of God. It is the Son of God who manifested the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So music is to be Christocentric. That doesn't mean we forget a song like, He's a good, good Father. That's who you are. That's one of my favorite songs. But you wouldn't know Him as Father if it wasn't for the Son. Right? So the, the focus must be Christocentric in worship. The Spirit's ministry indicated by Christ Himself was that the Spirit will glorify Christ. So Spirit-filled worship by definition and necessity is focused upon Christ and the Son of God. Right? And of course we see all three manifested. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's no greater theme that could possibly fill our hearts than the glory and majesty of Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. He's the Lord of all creation. He's the Lord of glory. God is worthy of our deepest and strongest and purest affections. Church family, again, I remind you that singing is a precious gift from God. Our faith is a singing faith. This is because we have something to sing about. Our sins are forgiven. Is that worth singing about? We have a Savior who loves us. Is that worth singing about? We have eternity in heaven with the Lord. Is that something to be that we should sing about? We have a Savior who laid down his life and took it up again. And in power and glory, he's coming again. Is that something to sing about? His kingdom will have no end. I can't be stoic when I think about that. Right? Something happens to me on the inside when I look at this world, and yet I'm reminded that my God controls it. Right? It gives you that sense of understanding. So, here's my encouragement. Are you filled with the Spirit? We started off asking that question. If someone asks you the question, are you Spirit-filled? So, what's your answer? Well, do you address your brothers and sisters in Christ with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Do you revel in your heart about the glory of God and see the need to practice together, joining with your church family and worshiping the Lord? Is there joy in your heart that comes from the Word and the Spirit that must come out in song? If you're filled with the Spirit, 
then you will be marked by joyful worship. You know what we're going to do? We're going to sing. Let's pray. Great God, we, we confess our sin to you. Because so often we come into this place and we forget about our obligation for our brothers and sisters. And Lord, we forget that worship is all about Jesus. It is given the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Praise. It is to give you your worth. It's not about us. You are in heaven, seated upon your throne as the king. And let us not forget that you've invited us before you as an audience to worship you, King of kings, Lord of lords. There is a regulatory understanding of worship. And that means our God regulates how he's worshipped. You've got that right because you are God. And you've told us to be spirit-filled is to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It is individually to sing, make melody in our hearts. The mind, the affections, and the will are moved to worship you, Lord God. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and I pray that you'll experience singing to each other horizontally, singing to the Lord vertically. Let's make this declaration together. Here I am to worship, O Lord. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely. Altogether worthy. Altogether wonderful to me. Oh, here I am to worship.
offering in this time of worship as well. So, ushers, please come forward and let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the gift of music. Thank you for the gift of song. And as Brother Philip has so wonderfully said, it's, it's not about whether it was written 500 years ago or just this morning. It's about what are we saying? Are we saying something biblical and right and honoring to you? Lord, I pray that we are this morning. And I pray that each and every person, <laughs> I pray that people would look back on this day and, and, and people maybe who haven't ever sung in church before and say, this was the most beautiful, terrible sound I've ever heard. Oh, Lord, may we all jump in with all of our heart and sing to you. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise the name forevermore, for endless days we will sing. He shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints. My gaze transfixed on Jesus'
invitation. Two things I want to encourage you to do. If you're a believer, commit to be spirit-filled and sing. All right? Second, if you do not know the Lord, you may think, well, what's in this for me? Well, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. No one will ever be saved apart from the Word and the Spirit. Okay? Uh, I remember hearing, I think it was Stephen Brown, great Presbyterian preacher, told a story 
about a fellow who gave his testimony in the church. And his testimony went like this. Brother Stephen, I knew all the facts. And they had been giving me the gospel. Your church family had been over and over and over again. And I had it all up here. But it wasn't until I stood in the congregation and heard this. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. For on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. He said at that moment, it dropped from my mind into my affections. And he saw the glory of the gospel. Maybe that's you today through song, where God has taken his word, coupled with his spirit, and in song, and he's opened up your heart to the gospel. And you want to be saved this morning. The invitation's for you. Just one, one or two verses all we're going to have. Okay, here we go. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. And he will surely give you rest by trusting in his Amen. Uh, Natalie and uh, myself and, and Nathan. And then I think Lacey's already over uh, to Anaheim. And uh, Andy and Betsy and the girls are there. Don is there, of course. We know Don is there. Um, am I missing somebody else going? Yes, Philip and Elsie are there. And so I can't tell you how important this convention is. Okay? Um, pray. That God will raise up his man for the hour for our convention. Uh, that's, that's, that's enough said that God would do that. So just pray for traveling mercies, for the Lord's will to be accomplished. And for God to get all the glory that belongs to him. Amen. And then tonight we will not have our outreach program. That doesn't mean you can't do outreach. Right? And if you're a Sunday school teacher and you've had visiting families coming to your Sunday school class, maybe you want to hit them this week, okay? We'll get back in the rhythm soon, but Don is the key cog of that, and he's in California. And we're just praying that the Pacific Ocean doesn't engulf California anytime soon, or, or anywhere in the world, right? Before Don gets back home, all right? All of us. God bless you. Amen. How great is our God. How great is our God, oh sing with me, how great.